Everybody, Sooner Nation, OU Insider subscribers, of course, Brian Clinton enthusiasts, uh, hot weather haters like me, welcome to another edition of the Oklahoma Drill podcast. My name is Jesse Crittenden. I am alongside my co-host, Coach Brian Clinton. Now, Brian, I've noticed that this is the third episode of the Oklahoma Drill Mm-hmm. And it's called the Oklahoma Drill, but we haven't done a whole lot of you know one-on-one hot takes, disagreeing, going back and forth. Do we do we need to increase that a little bit? Potentially, I, just wait until the first loss. Once the first loss happens and everybody's feeling a little bit more emotional about things, I bet I bet it'll it'll ramp up a little bit. You better not say that, man, because <laughs> the the fans the fans people listening to this are gonna are saying are gonna accuse you of speaking a loss into existence oh man okay right yeah we're going 12 and up. we're never going to lose a game again 47 in a row here we come that's right that's the, <laughs> that's the type of attitude there we go but until then we won't force anything but you know eventually it is the oklahoma drill at some point you know we got to hit each other then we got to hit mm-hmm. each other yeah um brian uh since we last spoke quite a few things have happened uh we both went to cincinnati ohio we we went there and back to watch Oklahoma win uh 20 to 6 a performance that was really good defensively and, so, and you know an offensive performance that had some moments but had some you know some tough moments too um so i mean i think you know i think that's you know the place to start with our with our first segment you know we're we're going to do a weekly wrap up here brian you're on the field you know you do some great video stuff for us um you know not only maybe what was your biggest takeaway from the Cincinnati game, but I mean, how, how impressive was that defensive performance from your perspective? It was, it was stingy. I mean, it was, this was an absolutely, uh, I mean, it was a dominant performance, whether or not Brent Venables wants to give it that moniker. It it was dominant. Um, the Sooners looked really, really good defensively. They were sound. Um, and the defensive depth showed when Jaron Kinnick had to, to come out, you roll in Kobe McKenzie or Kip Lewis, and you don't really lose anything there, um, which is promising. And so I was really impressed with, with just how it seemed like whenever Cincinnati got things going and momentum was rolling for the Bearcats, oh, you found a way to, to stop that, to stymie that. And and, you know, in, in the 2022 campaign, that, that wasn't the case. You know, as soon as somebody broke off, uh, you know, a 10-yard or 15-yard run against the Sooners, it was like, you know, oh, here we go. Like, this is, you know, oh, you better be ready to put seven points up because that's what that's what we're about to see them do against the defense. And so, um, you know, I, I was really impressed with it because it comes – at some point, you have to be able to win games defensively as well, and and they did that. So it, it was it was really good. Yeah, no, I agree. And I and you know, going through the stats, watching the game, and Brent actually said after the game he doesn't like he doesn't necessarily like the moniker of Ben but don't break. 
Um, because I think he even said like, sometimes offenses are going to make plays. That's just what's going to happen. And I think on Saturday you saw, there were moments where Cincinnati moved the ball pretty decently. There were, there were a couple of big plays, but I think what you saw is ultimately it doesn't matter. You can move, you can have a thousand yards. You can move the ball up and down, but if you don't score, that's really what matters. And I think two things were really telling Brian was that, uh, Cincinnati had two trips to the red zone and didn't score. Um, really, you know, the first, the key Lawrence intercept or the key Lawrence interception was one of those. The other one, Peyton Bowen had the huge pass breakup on third down forced a field goal that Cincinnati probably should have made, but Hey, they didn't make it. And if Peyton Bowen doesn't make that play, they probably score a touchdown. And I think there's, I mean, it's the red zone defense. And then the fact that OU's third down defense, which has been really, really good to start the year. And Cincinnati was three of 15 on third downs, one of four on fourth downs. I mean, I think again, it's, I don't know if Ben don't break is the right, but I mean, you see this team, this defense, when they need to make plays, they're making plays Um, to go to the offensive side of the ball. I think that's where a lot of the discussion has been in terms of how, how should we read this? Is it, is there any concerns? Is it time to panic? Is it overreactions? Brian, 20 points, you know, Dylan Gabriel had over 300 yards passing, I think looked good most of the day, but I mean, your overall takeaway, what did you come away thinking? Oh man, this offense is in trouble. Did you come away thinking, Hey, you know, everything's going to be good. Where were you at? Well, I've had a few days to sit and think about it now and, and watch the game back, obviously, as I do every week and being down on the field, I can tell you from firsthand experience, I have never been in a stadium with 40,000 people. That was that loud. And it was not just on the student section side. I mean, it was a loud stadium. The way that the architecture of that stadium is built into the ground, it's a bowl that holds the sound really well. It holds all of those fans going nuts really well. And and there was a good turnout from, you know, even from Sooner fans as well, there was a good turnout, but it was, it was a hard environment to go into, especially when a lot of that, that, uh, a lot of that roster hasn't played a road game for Oklahoma before, you know, Tulsa, I, 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 Tulsa was a, was a home game. It was a, it was a bona fide home game is what it was. And uh, this was the first time you really saw the offense um, have to deal with some of that noise. And and you saw some false starts. You saw some mistakes. You saw some things, you know, Dylan Gabriel's played there before um, and, and with, with UCF. And, and this was the first time that he's won a game, uh, uh, you know, there in that stadium. And so, I think it speaks volumes just as to how much uh, this team still has to go with the with the intangibles, the things that you don't really think about that don't show up on the stat sheet. But in the same sense, I I was I was really I came away uh, impressed with how well they were able to deal with some of that adversity. So um, I, I think there's still some things to work on. You've got a really good defense you're facing this week in Iowa State, so we'll see a little bit more. But um, they're still averaging 46.8 points a game or, you know, whatever they're at, there's, they're still in the top five or top 10 nationally. So um, until we see it cost them a football game, I'm not going to be concerned. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I'm glad you mentioned the Cincinnati uh, home environment. Shout out to Cincinnati. Even from the press box where I was sitting, I mean, we were, I mean, within the first couple of minutes, we were like, Oh my goodness, it is, it is loud. It's really, really loud. Um, so hats off to to Cincinnati for for showing up. But yeah, and just to read a couple of things, Brian. I mean, I agree with you. The, the reality is, oh, you still had 425 yards of offense. 
Um, Dylan Gabriel still had 322 passing yards. Um, yeah, probably missed a couple of throws here and there that he, that he'd like to have back and against better competition, maybe those throws become, you know, it becomes even more important to make those throws. But ultimately I think my takeaway is this offense is still a work in progress. They are. And I think that's what makes this upcoming matchup, um, so interesting, but overall, OU left with a 20 to six win. They're four and oh. Uh, it's not what I mean. That's something they didn't do last year. They crumbled to start conference play. Lost their three conference games. They're four and zero with a great mm-hmm. shot of going five of being five and zero going into uh, going into the Texas game. So, anyways, four and zero. Hard to complain too much about that. But Brian, let's uh, let's segue into our our uh, our next segment. Uh, what's happening now where we talk about, you know, everything that's happened this weekend, player availabilities, practices, coach Venables press conference. But before we do that, let's hear a word from, uh, from our sponsor. Hey, Sooners fans. We want to welcome our new sponsor prize picks. It's really simple. Go to your Google Apple store, type in prize picks, download it, and you can start having fun and winning just this past season. I've won 25 times my money. All I've done Right now is just going. I pick two players. I pick the over and under on their stats, and I'm done. All in under 60 seconds. On Monday, Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts played each other. I picked the over on Jalen, and I picked the under on Baker. And I know that hurts some OU fans, but that Stout Eagles defense, it was a shoe in for me. I bet $10.130. Price Picks also does weekly promotions to enhance your winnings. And they use Apple Pay. So every time you win, it goes straight into your account. Very, very simple. Go to pricepicks.com. Go to pricepicks on your app. Start having fun and start winning now. All right, Brian. So here we go. Uh, Talking about what's happening now. Uh, Obviously, a couple of things have happened. We did not get a weekly press conference um, from Ted Roof and Jeff Levy. It was just uh, Brent Venables at the lectern, not the podium. It is a lectern, as the Twitter account I'm a lectern has pointed out to me several times. Um, but only Britt Venables uh, did a press conference um, this week. Brian, I think the thing that stood out the most to me about Brent's presser, I mean, there was a lot of things, but I think on that, you know, he was asked, he was kind of asked the same thing on Saturday about is this defense dominant? He was kind of asked the same thing on Tuesday about, you know, is this defense, you know, basically where are you seeing the improvement and, or, or sorry, let me, it's, I think he was asked more like, do you see, is this defense hitting its peak or is there a lot more room to grow? And Brent said, Oh, we're not close. This defense is not close. Like acknowledging that they're playing better, but they're not close. They've got a lot of ways to improve. I mean, maybe how healthy is that? I mean, to have that mindset, I mean, I think as good as this defense has played, um, there have still been moments where you can see, oh, they need to work on this. But Brian, maybe what were your thoughts on his comments about that? And did anything else stand out to you about about his press conference? Well, you know, I, I think when you're when you're playing at the level, at the FBS level, let alone a Power Five level, um, there aren't very many people that understand the amount of intensity, the the amount of dedication that goes into being good at that level of football. Um, you can't ever be complacent with what you're doing ever that you've heard Brent Venables say it's not good enough and it never will be. And that's the mindset you have to have in, in this, in this sport, because the moment that you feel good about where you're at, 
is the moment that you get complacent and that's in complacency is, is, is an enemy to, to success. And so I think whenever you, when you hear Venables say something like that, uh, he, he truly believes that. And I, I think that you're seeing that in um, you're, you're seeing that rub off on his players a little bit. You know, there's stories out there about Danny Stutzman. If you walk past the film room, uh, and you're not in there. He's like, Hey, why aren't you in here watching film? Well, we've got to get better. Like get in here. We have stuff to do. Like, you know, those kinds of things are important and it's vital, especially when you're trying to turn around, uh, the program, you know, and the, the mantra that Oklahoma doesn't play defense, and, uh, you know, it's been a case for a while. And, and as of right now, uh, they've squashed that narrative. So, um, you know, something else that stood out for me was the way he closed his press conference it was a long answer. I think, you know, I think it was, you know, it was over five minutes uh, talking about Key Lawrence and, and, and uh, Marcus Stripling, I believe was, was the other one. Um, but, but just how intentional and, and how much growth those guys have had and, and how that kind of stuff is just, uh, you know, those are things that you see inside the program that, that maybe don't get as much light, but when you have somebody who is, who had big plays like Key Lawrence did last week, um, you know, it's just awesome to hear. It's great because that's a guy that struggled last season, but but he's come out really strong and looked really, really good through four games. I'm glad you mentioned him. I actually just wrote a story over at OUinsider.com about Key Lawrence because, yeah, I think nobody – I mean, a lot of players have talked about how much more confident and comfortable they're feeling in year two under Brent Venables. I don't know if anybody embodies that better than Key Lawrence. I mean, you look at the numbers, Brian, especially from last year to this year. I mean, it was clear – not only the stats, but the eye test watching Key Lawrence last year. He just wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. He just he looked like a guy that was second-guessing himself. He didn't know where he needed to be. Not only have you not seen that this year, uh, but he's making – I mean, he's making these really big plays. I mean, think about that Cincinnati game, that interception he had in the second quarter. That's huge. That's a huge play. Uh, it was in the end zone. Cincinnati was driving. And when, you know, when you're thinking about OU leading that game 10 to three at halftime, that's a huge play. What if Cincinnati scores on that possession? Think about the SMU game where he forces the fumble after that really long run. Uh, OU was up 14 to three, but that game ended up being 14 to 11 in the fourth quarter. If Key Lawrence doesn't get that strip, how much do things change? And I think it's pretty telling. I mean, he's sixth on the team in snaps right now, Brian, through through four weeks. That's according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, he has the sixth highest uh, grade or performance grade through the season on the team. I mean, I, I think he's uh, over a 76 performance grade. He, he had a 63 last year for the season. Wow. Just It's just there. I mean, I don't think anybody embodies that better than him. So I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Um, and then you mentioned even that the film room stuff, I think that was another interesting thing was talking about, uh, the buy-in, uh, not only was Brent Venable's comments about the buy-in, like having more and more players doing things like coming up to the, to the, uh, you know, coming up to, to eat and do film on Sundays and doing more voluntary stuff. Uh, Key Lawrence and Danny Stutzman have talked about that too. Key Lawrence was one of the players on Tuesday that was like, yeah, you're seeing like, it's infectious to see how much more buy-in that is while all of that's great. Is that, does that maybe explain some of the struggles last year, just in terms of this, not being, especially defensively, not being as cohesive of a unit. I think it does. Yeah. I think you could, you could definitely make that argument. Um, you know, you saw a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys leave and, and Brent made sure 
and point out that, you know, when he says buy-in, um, it's not like they had a lot of, you know, he didn't put it this way, but just me growing up, uh, they didn't have a lot of turds on the team. That's not what it was about. <laughs> you know, they didn't have guys that were just awful locker room fits. It was more of, you know, doing absolutely everything that they asked, they asked their players. Um, you know, that come, that goes all the way down to sleeping enough, um, you know, eating right and, and things that you're doing off the field. That's what makes a difference. And I think whenever you see this elite level of buy-in that you have from them to this point, uh, it pays immediate dividends. Um, they're living, uh, to, to improve right now, which is, which is what you need. Um, especially when you're trying to change things as drastically as they are. So well, it, they look really good doing it. And, and that's the whole point. Well, and I think any, I mean, I know you, you have coaching experience, you have playing experience, anybody that's played, I mean, really at any level, but high school, college, the pros, if you're trying to be great, like everybody's got to be on the same page, everybody's got to be able to have that buy-in. And I think you see that on the field where defensively last year, this team just looked lost and nobody was on the same page this year. It looks like everybody's on the same page. So I think it's it is interesting that you didn't hear Brent and the players say things like that last year. But now as the defense is showing improvement, the buy-in is there. There are little nuggets of they're sprinkling in that like, hey, you know, there things were a little tough last year. We weren't all on the same page. I thought that was pretty interesting. And Brian, I think the last thing that really stood out to me was was Brent's comments about the running back room, which has been a huge topic of discussion uh, everywhere. And and I think for good reason and not to beat it into the ground, but I think what was interesting, Brian, was because we didn't hear from Levy on Monday, we, you know, we only heard Brent's perspective on the running back room and Levy, you know, coach, you know, Jeff Levy through four weeks has said, we're going to go with the hot hand. We're going to go with the hot hand. That's not what Brent said on Tuesday. What Brent mm -hmm. said was we're evaluating the way they're performing uh, in practice. And then DeMarco Murray is making, you know, kind of those assessments on who needs to play. And, you know, Brent kind of, I think Brent kind of pushed back a little bit on the idea that not only, uh, or that nobody has established themselves like Eric Gray, that's number one. And two, it's, it's really hard to get four running backs on the field at the same time. But Ryan, we saw on Saturday after the Tulsa game, uh, you know, the Tulsa game was Javante Barnes, Gavin Sawchuk getting all the work. And against Cincinnati, it's only Marcus Major and and Tawi Walker getting all the work. So, what did you think of of Brent's comments about that? And uh, not you know not to again beat this into the ground, but is should there be any concern about the running back room, or what's your read on what you've seen through four weeks? So, just from my perspective, it feels like it almost feels like a. Um, a touch man like touches management on on what what's going on like some work management um on both fronts because i can't think of another reason why you would exclusively run two running backs one week and then a completely different two the next um you know i think obviously you've got to have some film on guys like javante barnes and, and gavin sawchuck you've got to have some things that you can coach them from live game reps because you just can't you can't fabricate those in practice as much as you would like to it's just not it's not realistic and so um i i think it's a it, it's it's really confusing for the from the fan perspective and really from our perspective because you don't know who's going to trot out there as, as the number one running back uh, i mean this week tawi walker is a is a captain so you you kind of assume that he's going to have some sort of a role in this game but 
um, at some point, your best two running backs, especially from what we saw last year towards the end of the year, the guys with the highest ceiling are Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes. No, no offense to anybody else in that room, but that's just the case. And so um, down the stretch, you've got to establish, somebody has to establish themselves as, as that top running back. Somebody is going to have to do that. And, and at this point, I don't think it matters who it is. Uh, you just need somebody to do that because rhythm uh, in Jeff Levy's offense is key. Uh, we've all seen it happen when they get going and they're, and they're able to just enroll and, and play after play after play. It works. And it's really hard to do that when you're trying to figure out who the heck is the, is the RB one in this, in this offense. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's why I think it was telling that Brent said Eric Gray established himself last year through four weeks. Nobody has established themselves. And it's so, I mean, again, this is when you start trying to think about, I mean, how much is Gavin Sawchuk still dealing with that injury he suffered in fall camp? Where's Javante Barnes at health wise? Um, and again, it's not that the running backs, it's not that it's been awful and terrible and there's, and there's, there's been nothing good, but I mean, through four weeks, Brian, this is the 65th rushing offense they're 85th in yards per carry at 4.0 it's just when you look at the way jeff levy's system operates and the the amount of success oh you had last year that difference is te it's telling this was one of the best rushing offenses in the country last year and so i mean even you look at dylan gabriel's struggles might be too strong of a word there's been uh, you know some throw they've relied on him more this year through four weeks than they did last year and so I think it's, again, it's still kind of early in the season, but you're closing in on the Texas game. And I think this weekend, again, is going to be really telling in terms of how that rotation um, shakes out. The other thing I was going to quickly touch on, Brian, was, you know, Andrew Anthony, who through, who through four weeks has been, uh, has been just really, really good. He's just been great. Um, I mean, he leads the team in, in, receiving yards and receptions and targets. He's already, he already has more receptions and yards than he did in his two years at Michigan, which is kind of crazy. Uh, again, it's still early. A lot of things can happen, but do you, I mean, is it, is it pretty safe to say that Angel Anthony is the number one receiver on this offense? I would say right now. Yes. Um, but I would not be surprised if Nick Anderson becomes that guy. Um, because he, let, let's be honest. If there's an NFL body on the, in that wide receiver room right now, it's Nick Anderson. Jaden Gibson could also make that argument, but the way that Nick Anderson has looked uh, in his first in his first go is is really promising, and I think that that's a guy that that may start pushing uh, Andrew Anthony for that role. But I would say right now, the speed that Anthony has and the way that he's able to stretch the field, um, especially with with the the concerns that Oklahoma has in the running game right now has been a, has been a godsend because he has been electric through four games. No, he has. And I think the other thing that stood out is, I mean, he had the, he had the 49 yard catch against Cincinnati at the end of the third quarter, which was huge, but it hasn't just been deep throw after deep throw to him. Right. I mean, uh, he's, he's, he's third on the team in, in yards per reception right now. So, I mean, and Dylan Gabriel is hitting him for some underneath routes. I do think I, I agree with you, Brian. I think we're seeing Nick Anderson. Yes. I mean, four touchdowns in the last two games. Uh, I do think it would be good to get him a little bit more involved, but I do think we've seen enough to suggest that Andrew Anthony's kind of become Dylan Gabriel's favorite target, mm -hmm. but I'm curious to see over the next couple of weeks, what Jalil Farouk's um, role is in this offense. I mean, 10 catches through four weeks, um, he's had good moments, but he's well behind last year's pace. 
um, in terms of receptions. And he, I mean, he had those two receptions early in the game against Cincinnati that didn't catch another pass. So again, this not a criticism. It's not a complaint. It's just, it will be interesting to see. I think they're still working out that wide receiver rotation too. Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, or sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I do want to say one thing is, um, I, I've noticed that it seems that the guys that are more aggressive blocking on the perimeter, not to say that Jalil Farouk isn't, but it does seem that Emmett Jones has put an emphasis on, we're going to be physical. Like if you're going to play for me, if you're going to be out there on the field for me and rotating in and out, you're going to be physical whenever it comes to, when it comes to blocking, when it comes to, you know, playing against press coverage and things of that nature, the guys that are more physical are getting a run. And so uh, I think that that might be, it's been a pleasant surprise that Andrew Anthony has been that, but he certainly has been. And I, I think it's playing a role in, in what he's done so far. I'm glad you mentioned that because I do think that's, those are the type of things that can easily be forgotten when talking about a position group, like even, you know, the running back room pass blocking, Right. And pass protection is a huge part of who gets on the field. We see that in the NFL. There are players mm-hmm. who are incredibly talented running backs, but they maybe they don't play third downs because right. they're, they're not a great pass protector. So that's a that's a good point to to mention. And with that, Brian, we'll we will we will uh, segue into uh, our next segment, our Saturday synopsis. Which again, I'm very still very happy about that segment name. Thank you. Uh, where we're going to talk about this upcoming game against Iowa State. Uh, it's Saturday at 6 o'clock. Brian, remind me, what channel is that game on? That is on FS1. FS1, thank you. Uh, so 6 o'clock, FS1, OU comes back uh, to play at home after two weeks on the road. Brian, you have been uh, – I think your your field vision – a series has dropped on our on our OU Insider YouTube channel. For anybody who's listening to this or watching this that hasn't gone and looked at looked at Brian's uh, film breakdown, uh, you absolutely should. It's a great series. Uh, good stuff on that, Brian. Um, what's your you've you've broken down the film. You've looked at Iowa State. You've watched some OU film too. What's what's been your main takeaway from from Iowa State? What do you what are you either looking for most or what do you think, what position group do you think is most interesting when you're examining this matchup and OU and, and those types of things? So just as it has been in, in previous years under Matt Campbell, tight ends are, are the position um, for Iowa state that you've got to be watching. They, they use them there. It's the feature uh, position in their, in their offense. Um, you know, they use them obviously, uh, in uh, run blocking, but they also keep them in uh, for for pass blocking, for pass protection. But they're but they're also getting a lot of the targets. I mean, I I believe like or somewhere around thirty three to thirty five percent of the targets in last week's game were to tight ends, and so um, they play a really big role in what they do. But you know, it it expands even further beyond that. They're using these guys for pre step motion. They're using these guys to. Um, try and and see what the defense is wanting to do, but but it's it's a lot of eye candy. You know, pre snap motion is eye candy. You're trying to confuse that defense, and so they do a lot of those things. And and Rocco Beck, the freshman quarterback, um, is coming off a huge game. It's his career uh, career best game against Oklahoma State. He had three hundred and three hundred forty eight yards passing and three touchdowns on the game. Um, and and so he's got a really quick release. He's able to get the ball out quickly. Um, despite the offensive line giving up, I, I believe it was 14, um, 14 
hurries. Uh, this was a this was a game where they didn't give up a sack, and it's because he's able to get the ball out quickly. So um, watch for the tight ends. The running game is an issue for for Iowa State. Um, that I believe they're averaging somewhere in the eighty five yards a game realm right now which is just not you know that's not very good yeah. uh and, and going against an Oklahoma defense has been really good against the the run you know that's going to obviously present some issues so I expect them to try and and uh, get back outside the box uh and try and throw the ball and then obviously on defense I mean John Heacock's still there so we're still going to see a lot of three safety look we're going to see a lot of uh, that three three five that they like to run and and uh Dylan Gabriel's just going to have to He's going to have to take what the defense gives him because they're not going to let him uh, just chunk the ball down the field like we've seen in the last few games. Right, right. No, I, all good stuff. And I should have mentioned that, you know, Iowa State has been a little bit of an uneven start for them. They're 2-2 two and two, uh, coming into this game. But, you know, coming off a, a, a good win against a, a struggling Oklahoma State team. But, hey, when you get a win in conference play, uh, that's and I think it's, it's a win Iowa State needed after a couple of tough losses to Ohio and Iowa. Uh, they beat Oklahoma State 34 to 27. Yeah, Brian, I, I don't, you know, I, this offense has been a struggle. I mean, they're 13th uh, in the conference in, in scoring offense. They're averaging just 21 a game. But defensively, this is still a really, I mean, I, I don't know if they're quite on last year's level. But this defense is this Iowa State defense is still really good. I mean, they're 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 third in scoring defense. They're only allowing 16 and a half points per game. Um, you know, they they've been really good defending the pass. They're number one uh in the Big 12 in passing defense, and they're number one in the Big 12 in total defense. So um, I think for me, Brian, you know, I I do think this is going to be a game where the running game is really, really key because Iowa State mm -hmm. statistically uh, I mean, they're they're middle of the pack in rushing defense in the Big 12. They're giving up about 115 yards per game. To me, I, I completely agree with you. I think this is going to be. I mean, Dylan Gabriel is going to be needed to make you know to make plays, but uh, certainly. But I, I mean, I think Iowa State's going to come out and OU is going to need to get that running game going to open up the pass. If OU's one dimensional against a good Iowa State defense, I think that's where problems can come in so brian if you're if you're this ou offense what are you trying to do are you trying to establish that running game early um are you are you putting the ball in dylan gabriel's hands with the amount the running game has has you know been inconsistent what are you trying to do no I, I think you have to to attack this this type of defense or this type of scheme properly you've, you've got to be able to run the ball effectively um and i think that you know, we saw Oklahoma turn a little bit to to more of a of a zone look um, in the second half against Cincinnati, and and Marcus Major busted off a couple of big runs, and so I hope that you know it's my hope that they they saw that. Obviously, they did. Um, you know, they're not. It's not going to something something that they're going to miss on. Um, but but I think that you're going to see Oklahoma have to try and run the ball in this scenario because a lot of Oklahoma's big plays have come down the field. Uh, through, through the passing game to this point. And I don't think that you're going to have uh, nearly as many opportunities for that this week. So um, I'd be really, really, really surprised if Oklahoma doesn't come out uh, with it being a, a priority uh, to run the ball early and often. And so I would imagine, you know, especially historically, we see Bill Biedenboe's offensive lines really start to put things together around week five or six and and it's the, it's that time now and so um 
you know, I think that there's going to be an emphasis to run the ball. And if Oklahoma can do that uh, against a really good defense, uh, a really good rushing defense in Iowa State, it's a really good sign for things moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's, you know, I should point out that while Iowa State's rushing defense might technically be the weaker part of its defense, it's still good. Iowa State's still a good rushing defense. It's still a good defense overall. So I think there are going to be a lot of things to take away, depending on how things go for this OU offense. Uh, Brian, one last one last question. If if I asked you, you know, give me a player on offense, an OU offensive player, and an OU de- defensive player that you think are are either going to be key or or that you're going to be really watching, uh, on you know during this game. Uh, running back John Smith, whoever it is, <laughs> whatever <laughs> running back they decide to go with, is gonna be uh is gonna be a guy on offense that you need to be watching. Uh, you know. I, I'm hoping that this is the week that we see Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk really make a difference. You know, I, I think Sawchuk has nine carries to this point and they all came in the Texas or in the Tulsa game. So that would be, that would be my offensive guy. And then defensively, you know, the easy answer is to go Danny Stutzman, right? Um, that's, that's what, that's what I'd like to do, but I think I'm going to go Peyton Bowen here um, just because it feels like, this is a game where they're going to try and air the ball out. So I think Peyton Bowen's going to be asked to do a lot. He's going to have to help in the running game, obviously. Um, but we're also going to see him have to to match up with a couple of receivers that are coming off big games. They had a guy, um, Daniel Jackson, had two receiving touchdowns and 90 yards, and then Jalen Knoll had eight receptions for 146 and a touchdown. So um, I think this is a game where you might see Peyton Bowen make – a big impact and and uh, obviously he's been really really good for the Sooners so far. Um I guess my 1B on defense would be PJ Adibara. 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 Danny Stutzman called yeah. me out uh yeah. on Monday night. I asked him about Peyton Bowen and PJ and I just said PJ and he said what's the last name? Oh man. And I said Adibara <laughs> and he said that's close. And, yeah. and I said, come on, I said, come on. And he said, uh, he said, I'm not going to try to say it. It was, it was, it was funny. It was pretty yeah. good. But, but go ahead. A, sorry. Uh, there was a, there was a story that, that uh, real quick, a story that Brent Venables told on his coach's show um, about, he was watching film on the, on the plane afterwards. And it was a play where, where PJ was this close to getting a strip sack. And he said, he paused the video. He got up, walked over to coach Chavis and said, uh, coach PJ has got to play more. <laughs> he's got to play more so you know I, I think we'll see that this week and and see if he can make a bigger role for himself yeah yeah, all good stuff and yeah I think Peyton Bowen is I think that's especially you know we don't know Reggie Pearson's status mm-hmm. um you know so and that's that's a guy who would play significant snaps since he you know if he was on the field but they're relying on Peyton Bowen and PJ more and more and I do think this is going to be a good test you know for them any conference games for true freshmen are going to be, you know, big tests. So, um, Brian, on that note, we always end with, uh, you know, going out there on a limb for a prediction. Brian, how do you think this game is going to unfold? Give me your score. So the line is sitting somewhere between 20 and 22 points, uh, pretty much anywhere that you look. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Oklahoma 31, Oklahoma 31, Iowa State 10. 31-10. 31 10. 31 10. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, I'm gonna go. I haven't I hadn't, I'll be honest, I hadn't actually thought of my own score prediction until 
just now. So this is a little bit. It's, it's going to be fresh. It's good. That's, that's right. <laughs> so anybody listening, this is the first time. Uh, you're not the only ones that are hearing this for the first time. I'm hearing my own self say this for the first time. Um, I think tentatively, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 28 to 14. I think this is a game that OU's defense does show or OU's defense continues to play well against an Iowa state offense that uh, played well last weekend, but still, you know, has some, has some struggles. And I think we're going to see OU's offense figure some things out, play a little bit better than they did against Cincinnati, but this is still a good Iowa state defense. I can't imagine, you know, OU scored 27 points against Iowa state last year. Mm -hmm. So I think there will be, things to feel better about compared to Cincinnati, but I don't think it's going to be an offensive explosion. Uh, you know, you got, you got to give credit to this Iowa state defense. That is really good. So with that, Brian, we'll, we'll see if our, our, if our predictions come true, but we'll both be at the game on Saturday. You'll be on the field. I'll be in the press box. Should be interesting to see if you can go five and zero. Uh, but with that, that will wrap up things for this latest edition of the Oklahoma drill. You can always find uh, us, you know, you can always find this, our, our episodes on our OU insider YouTube channel. You can go to Spotify, Apple music, or anywhere uh, you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're not a, if you're not a VIP member over at OUinsider.com, go ahead and, and head over there. You'll get some great content from, from Brian, you know, from our recruiting guys, Parker and Brandon, and from myself, um, you can always check, come check out this YouTube channel to see all the other cool stuff we're doing. Again, Brian's uh, field vision series really is terrific. So a lot of stuff we're pumping out here, but in the meantime, you guys have a great weekend and, uh, we'll see how things go on Saturday.